0: You're listening to Work Human Radio. And here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force. I'm your host Mike Wood, and today we are speaking with Harvard Business School professor and researcher Amy Edmondson. Amy's research focuses on cross-boundary teaming within and between organizations and how leaders enable complex collaborations through which execution and innovation are accomplished. If you have ever wanna learn more about what makes a team great or what any team needs to be successful, you've come to the right place. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Amy Edmondson.
1: Can you share a little bit about your background and what led you to your research on teams? Sure, I I started out
2: as an engineer and was involved with projects where different people had to come together with different expertise. And that got me interested in teams. But at the time, I didn't really register that interest as a possible field of study. I didn't know about the field of organizational behavior, for example. And I then went on to take a, a job in a kind of a boutique organizational development consulting firm and started spending a great deal of time in large organizations. And I got fascinated. Really fascinated by the questions of you know why organizations um, don't easily learn as the world around them changes, you know, how it can be hard for communication to be accomplished effectively in large, complex organizations. And, and on and on it went, and I realized I had not enough formal training to get at the questions that were intriguing me. So, with with the advice of a couple of wonderful professors that I was fortunate enough to meet, I applied to a PhD program. And so then I I, I showed up at Harvard in a PhD in organizational behavior, and just absolutely got hooked. It was an, a wonderful. Field for me it was a wonderful discipline. I ultimately, I thought the work was really interesting. The methods were interesting. The people were interesting. So, uh, it, I stayed. <laughs> the
1: rest is history. In a sense, yes. <laughs> That's great.
2: Um, and what? truthfully, I was interested in learning, like in organization. How how is it that organizations um, don't learn, and what can we do to help them learn? I didn't set out to study teams. I ended up studying teams because I figured out along the way that teams were the kind of um, keystone to this question, like that, in fact, what happens in teams within organizations is profoundly important for an organization's ability to learn, and that includes the top management team a frontline sales team, a team in the factory working on the product, a new product development team, and so on. So really it's the team learning that holds the key to the organization's ability to learn. So that's how I ended up studying teams.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's, it's so important to have a, a happy team and a team that communicates well. Mm. And what, one of the key concepts in your work is psychological safety. How do you define that term?
2: I define it as a shared belief that I can bring my full self to work, that I will not be humiliated or made to feel less good about myself if I speak up with ideas, with questions, with concerns, and yes, even with mistakes.
1: And why is psychological safety so important to building a healthy, a healthy team? How does, it, how does it combat group sync?
2: Those are two great questions. So it's important to building a healthy team because nearly all of the work we do today is what you might call knowledge work. right? Even, even people um, who are working in the most physical in, of, of environments, like a factory or a firefighting context, have deep expertise and knowledge that they're applying to that physical task. And most of us are essentially manipulating knowledge day in and day out to develop new products, to work with clients, to um, make the strategic decisions. And, and so that, uh, you know, knowledge is key. Knowledge is where, where value comes from, and, and sharing it and reconfiguring it and integrating it is how we add value in the world. Now, if someone does not have a sense of psychological safety, they will be reluctant to share, use, and integrate their knowledge. So it's absolutely mission critical uh, to building a healthy team and to and to an effective team. And then groupthink is generally described as the phenomenon of agreement or apparent agreement in a team that is disguising dissent. So it's, it, groupthink is said to happen when. The group seems to be utterly aligned behind a particular decision or conclusion, and yet there may be one, there may be several people who are remaining silent about their dissent because they look around and nobody else seems to be disagreeing, and they're reluctant or afraid or worried that people won't like them, um, right. and so they they don't they don't you know they don't share it. In a in an environment of psychological safety, that's much less likely to happen because they know that they both have a responsibility to offer something that may be important and they're quite confident that no one will hold it against
1: them. And and what's one thing that um, leaders should start doing today to improve psychological safety?
2: I think the most important thing leaders need to do is frame the work, right? Clarify for people that we live in a volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous world you know people are using that term VUCA to <laughs> capture those four attributes but if if i as a leader if a leader reminds people that the world is that the the context in which we work is full of uncertainty is you know is um is complex and profoundly interdependent then they're creating the logical case for the fact that every voice is needed. So in some sense, I think we all have a little bit of a taken-for-granted mental model that the work we do is reasonably predictable, knowable. You know, we can set targets. We can achieve those targets. That good work comes simply from making sure people are motivated enough rather than making sure People have the right strategies and are able to learn fast, real time on the job, and, and communicate and coordinate with each other. So, I think it's a really crucial job of leaders to keep clarifying. And this is, it sounds like an oxymoron, but to keep clarifying <laughs> the actual uncertainty, complexity, and interdependence that we face, because <laughs> that sets the stage, right? That sets the yeah. stage for saying, "Oh, yeah, I guess I better, you know, I better be paying attention and better be offering even." Tentative ideas or small concerns that I have, just to make sure. So I, I do right. think that's the most important thing. I, there are other things I can um, I can add to that, but but I think that's the number one thing.
1: How oh. would you say social recognition can help foster more collaboration and innovation across teams? Well, so I think that's the um, a
2: crucial crucial social recognition is crucial. So I think of creating psychological safety as involving three parts. You know, one is Setting the stage by framing the work, the second is proactively inviting participation. You know, Sarah, what are you thinking about this? I'd love to hear from you. I'm not an expert in X. you know what what are you seeing? so i'm I'm explicitly asking you uh, to to chime in. And then the third thing is really social recognition. The third thing is when people offer their thoughts, their questions, their concerns they need to be recognized in a positive way, right? I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to think yeah. everything you say is an absolute jewel, but I have to appreciate the fact that you took the time and effort to offer it and, and in, a, in a sense to respect you and give you the recognition that that respect uh, deserves because that is the positive force that keeps you coming back, right? That keeps you engaged, that keeps you believing Truthfully, that your input matters.
1: What what value does peer-based feedback have in building
2: a learning culture? Oh, peer-based feedback is invaluable to building a learning culture. In 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 a very simple way, if I don't get feedback, I can't learn. And oddly, my peers are often the people who are best positioned to give me feedback. You're you may be closest me closest to the work I do more able to see the the cause and effect nature of things I do and what happens It's right? so a you can and it's a gift it's an incredible gift um, that, that you're willing that peers are willing to give each other it's not easy to give feedback uh, it's not without time and cost so but it is crucial to learning so I think the degree to which we can constantly encouraging people uh, to give each other the gift of feedback and to give each other the gift of receiving that feedback and putting it to use for learning, um, the more we're creating a learning culture.
1: Given that most work today happens in small groups and teams, should companies start taking this into account in their performance management and reward strategies?
2: Absolutely. And how? And and how. So um, the first Thing that companies need to be aware of is that there is there is a a folly in telling people we want you to team up, we want you to work well together, and then rewarding people only as individuals. You know that's a it's a it's just a it's a you're asking people to. Um, live with a contradiction and that's not easy. You know, there are many right. contradictions we must live with, but that won't, that's not <laughs> easy. And so any time rewards unduly favor individual achievement at the expense of the collaborative achievement, you're probably in trouble because you're not going to get some of the behaviors you really want and need, and you will get behaviors around competition and withholding that you don't need and don't want. So... Um, so how to do that is just make sure that two things. One, that a, that, a, that a substantial portion of the reward system is based on collective performance. You know, how did our unit do? How did our project do? How did our company do? And, and number two, make sure that you don't have um, direct contradictions built into the reward system. Like we want you to work together, but then we're going to force rank you. And I realize many companies still do that, and I think it's a mistake.
1: So what are some, some of the best practices for designing change programs in large companies? My, um, my view of how to design change
2: programs is to focus on the work we need to do. Right? So, so oftentimes, for example, oftentimes change programs are initiated uh, with the express purpose of changing the culture, which I'm enthusiastic about, and... I think that's going about it the wrong way. To focus on the culture um, is rarely going to get everybody's attention and say, "Okay, that's got you know wake up in the morning and run into work to kind of fix the culture today. But to focus on how do we do the work? How do we get the work done? How do we need to get the work done in a way that better delights our customers? is to focus on what new behaviors do we need, what new strategies, what new processes. And in the process of engaging in new behaviors, new processes, we change and create a new culture, right? Because we change and we create new mindsets, new behaviors, new beliefs. We start seeing uh, things working in in a new way. So um, being very, very clear about, in any change program, being very, very clear about... Where the gap is in current performance, or where the opportunity is, and then going after that, and and inviting people's suggestions and ideas and hypotheses about what we should what we should do um,
1: is really um, you know, a, a great way to drive change and drive change forward. As you know, inequality and harassment in the workplace are at the top of the mind for HR in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, it, how do we even begin to tackle this issue? Well, I'm glad you brought it up because I, because I do think that the topic of
2: inequality and harassment or conversely inclusion and belonging um, right. and a, and a, are very intimately tied to building a climate of psychological safety. So many, so many of the stories that we're reading about in the media today are magnificent descriptions of unsafe workplaces. You know, workplaces where particular forms of abuse or reluctance to speak up or ask for help went on for years. And, you know, that's the very definition of an unsafe workplace, both both physically and psychologically. So, you know, I, I, I think that um, managers, leaders need to realize that the only way to create excellence in a knowledge-intensive world in a knowledge-intensive economy, is to create workplaces where people can bring their full selves to work, right? Bring their full selves to the task ahead, that they don't have some portion of their of their brain and heart tied up in keeping themselves safe uh, from from harm and from from bullies. So, I think it's absolutely crucial to to train and educate people, and it's. Um, there has to be a, a quick and immediate response. I don't believe that means, you know, anyone who um, is uh, sort of um, accused of and possibly, you know, and maybe it may even be clear uh, of some infraction should be instantly fired, And uh, depending on, you know, in, unless the infraction is really um, um, a very severe one. I think people need the chance to learn. Some people are just unaware that they're... Yeah. Behaviors are, you know, intimidating or what have you. I think there are obviously lines you cross, and you do have, you do want to instantly um, respond in the form of that is isn't acceptable behavior in our in our organization. Um, but but we we begin to tackle. I think we have to begin to tackle it by first and foremost setting the aspiration that we want to and we can create a work environment in our organization where everyone feels excited about coming to work and able to bring their full self to work. That's the aspiration. I think we should also be realistic about this will be a journey. We aren't going to have that necessarily magic wand happen tomorrow, but that's our aspiration. And think about how you know that's what you want for yourself um that's what I want for myself that's what everybody else wants for themselves so it's going to take all of our working together to figure out how to do that so i think you know i think that's the place to start to start with aspiration and 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 you know this isn't just because we want to be a place where people you know, a good place for people to work we want to be that but it's also because the competitive marketplace we're in Ultimately, is going to require that, both to get the best talent and to create the best products and services um, that delight
1: customers. Thank you so much, Amy. Th- those are all the questions I'd, I'd prepared, but I'm, I'm excited to turn this into, into an article. It's really interesting stuff. Great, thanks, Emily.
0: So that's our interview with Amy Edmondson. I hope you learned a lot about successful teams. And if you want to learn more about Amy's work, just look her up on the Harvard Business School faculty page and you'll find all of her publications. And just a reminder that Work Human, our event and the place to be for the latest research in business and HR, is coming this April. Prices go up in February, so you want to visit www.workhuman.com to register and save your spot. Thank you for listening to Work Human Radio. My name is Mike Wood, and I'll see you next week.